This episode is brought to you by CISO. All the best comedy in one place. Don't believe it? CISO for yourself now. Go to CISO.com and stream for free today. No credit card needed. Welcome to Gatekeeper. A podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Clam. Welcome to Gatekeeper. This is our 10th episode, and that is a milestone. And who doesn't love a milestone? I'd argue very few. If life is a blanket, milestones are an important part of that blanket. An important part indeed. Thank you to my sponsor for this episode, Milestones. A great person once told me that milestones were an important part of the blanket of life and a source of warmth when it gets chilly. Speaking of chilly, on this episode of Gatekeeper, we're going to take a trip to a chilly cook-off in Chile. No blankets required there until about sunset when the temperature decreases. And thus concludes the segment at the top of each episode where I recite a semi-coherent stream of consciousness ramble written at 2 a.m. the night before I record in an effort to give the show some personality. Now is the end of this part of the show. Hey, thanks, Adbot. I'll be seeing you in a little bit. So before we get to today's interview, I wanted to share a quick gatekeeping pat on the back. Now, there is a great comedy website called SplitCider.com, and they got reviews and articles and comedy news, and they put out a list of the 15 best comedy clubs in North America. And guess what? The Hollywood Improv, the club that I book, made it onto this list, and was selected as the number one comedy club in North America, at least according to John Wenzel, who writes for Splitsider. Now, because comedy is subjective, lists like these are not always the perfect rubric. Yes, I said rubric. For the best, uh, it can be easy for these lists to become divisive instead of celebratory on social media. So my advice to comics is always to take these lists with a grain of salt. That being said, who do I thank first? Oh, this is such an honor. Oof, what a roller coaster ride it's been. Uh, to my friends and family who've put up with me and all my craziness for the last few years. Uh, to, to everyone that works at the improv and who have helped support the dream and want to make this the best club in the world. And, you know, really, more than anyone, I want to thank all the comedy clubs that are listed in this article. Uh, you know, I think really it's a celebration of comedy clubs coming back to the forefront as clubs are adapting to the future. And thank you. Oh, it looks like my time is up. Sorry about that. Jamie, you're done now? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got a little bit carried away. What do you think about the Split Slider article, Adbot? I'm not programmed to have opinions, but I think really any of the clubs in the article could be at the top of the list. In any case, it's validation for the hard work and effort you've all been putting into this club to make it shine. Thanks, Adbot. Now, what do I got to do? Just read this, as always. Okay, thanks. Here we go. Hey, if you love comedy and if you love stand-up, CISO is your one-stop shop for all things comedy. CISO has exclusive stand-up specials from Cameron Esposito. Sexuality isn't contagious. You are thinking of zombieism. Matt Besser. All right, welcome to UCB Theater. On your way out, please get in on our mailing list so we can send you some info on important mortgage loan deals. And Jay Farrow. Last time I smoked weed, I got so high, I was driving around looking for my car keys. And there's a show called New York's Funniest, which has been described as a local version of Last Comic Standing. Big J. Okerson has a crowd work show, plus CISO has countless more hours from your favorite comedians. So get your stand-up fix with new sets added daily. And as always, CISO has all the quotable classics you grow up on, like Monty Python, The Kids in the Hall, SNL, and must-haves including 30 Rock, Parks and Rec, and The Office. And check it out. The best part, CISO is always ad-free and only $3.99. But if you go to CISO.com right now, you can start streaming for free. CISO.com, official sponsor of Gatekeeper Podcast. Jamie, you're getting better with these ad reads every week. Pat on your back. Thanks, Adbot. Gatekeeper. So the Split Sider article coming out this week was perfect timing because my guests on this episode of Gatekeeper are my boss, Aaron Von Schoenbelt, who books all the improv comedy clubs nationwide, and Rita Piazza, who is the general manager here at the Hollywood Improv. And they have both played such an integral role 
in me being here and helping me develop as a booker. So after this quick sound effect, we'll get to that interview. Hi, I'm Jamie Flam, and welcome to Gatekeeper. And then I have a cool effect that goes under that. That makes me sound kind of like devilish. Like a demon. Yeah. I feel like it should just be, and then I have a cool effect, like you say that. No, that'll, we keep that in. It's okay. part of the fun dynamic. Or you got to listen to it. It's on Podcast Addict. It's great. I started listening. Todd Glass, he's got some good shit. Um, I'm joined by two people who I would not be where I'm at right now, literally without them. First, Rita Piazza the current general manager of the Hollywood Improv, who brought me into this uh, venue over five years ago because she just believed in me. We'll get to that in a minute. And Aaron Von Schoenfeld, who took it to the next level and said, this guy, he's capable of booking the big room at the Hollywood Improv. Do you have any regrets? No regrets. I knew I was right. I was a little concerned when I had to convince you to take the job, but (laughs) overall, no regrets. Awesome. Well, welcome, guys. I've been, this is a long time coming. This yeah, we a, just had lunch. We had a little sips of wine. We're warmed <laughs> up and ready for you, Flammy. Well, let's do this. Um, <clears throat> Aaron, we'll start with you. Yes. How long have you been with the improv? It will be 25 years in June. That's insane. It is insane. And you've seen a lot. I have seen a lot. Take us through 25 years with Hollywood Improv. And by the, the, by the way, I did tell Robert that if he gets her a watch, that she'll kick his ass. Unless it's an Apple Watch, by the way. I want a party. You want a party? That, I think that's a... <laughs> I want a party. Um, anyway, okay. So I started as a cocktail waitress. Um, when I went in for my first interview, uh, a friend of mine already had a job at the club and said, they're interviewing. Get down there right now. And so I went down there and my application said number 89 on it. And I was the 89th applicant out of 130 people who applied to be a server at the Improv. This is the Irvine Improv, right? The Irvine Improv in 1991. So this was, it was opening its doors for the first time. No, it nope. had been open. They would just did these giant cattle calls because it was, everybody wanted to work at the Improv. So out of 130 applicants, they hired three people and I was one of them. Wow. And I drove around with my little Improv handbook on my passenger seat of my car for months so that people would ask me about it. I was so happy. Um, and then I told Robert Hartman that I wanted to grow with the company. Robert did not like me very much. Um, Why is that? (laughs) I had a small problem with authority Mm. when I first started at the improv. Um, but I, uh, I proved myself. He made me a bookkeeper, which I was terrible at. And I used to come home every day and cry. And then, uh, No one will remember these people, but there was a show called The Mommies and the mommies had come in to the improv and we had like 12 sold out shows. And then one of them got sick and canceled and I handled all of the cancellations. This is long before we had internet. This is before, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think handwritten. everything was handwritten Mm -hmm. in a binder. We didn't even have fax machines uh, or email. Can you even imagine I can't imagine. It was it was all phone calls. So I called 12 shows worth of people and I refunded their money and it took probably four days, but I did a really good job. And so he had to take me seriously and he uh, put me in the management training program. And then I became the assistant manager for a while. And then I became the general manager. Um, and then when things were a little tough at Melrose, Bud was having some hard times. Um, he asked Robert to come up and help out, and Robert asked me to come with him. And that is how I started booking. And uh, that's been my... Actually, it's one of my favorite things. I really miss cocktail waitressing. I loved the interaction with the customers, and I loved seeing the shows. I'm sure you could still do that. Rita, are we hiring? Can I pick up some shifts? Damn it. <laughs> I'll have her bussing, and she'd, be, she'd probably put all everybody to shame. So what, what did you do now? But this is my boss, by the way. Aaron what, is my boss. What do I do now? Yeah, tell, tell our listeners what you are in charge of. And it's big. Um, I am the vice president of live for LEG Entertainment. Um, or actually, it's, I guess it's Levity Entertainment Group, LEG, just LEG, leg. Um, which means I book all the improv comedy clubs across the country, uh, with the exception of Vegas, 
in Tahoe if Tahoe's How many open. clubs is that? 28. So as crazy as this job is for me, for people that have been listening, and this is partly to give them a peek into the insanity that you know as much as anyone, can you imagine 28 clubs? I put that to you, the listener. Think about it right now. How do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> um, with the support of two excellent uh, associates, Katie and Sadie are very helpful to me. And of course, Jamie, you uh, taking over Hollywood was huge, um, knowing that I could just hand it to you and that it would be in good hands and that I don't have to worry is delightful. Um, it's nuts. It's, it's a crazy business. It's changed so much since I started. Um, sadly, it used to be a lot friendlier and uh, it feels contentious now, mm. um, which is unfortunate because we're all, it's, it's such a fun business and it's, it's the business of trying to make people laugh and have a good time. And I just, I don't understand where the disconnect happened between um, agencies and the clubs. But it just, it, it feels harder than it's ever been, which is unfortunate. Well, how much, I mean, it's, I mean, there's, you could probably give a million stories, but how much has this industry changed? I mean, even in the last five years since I started, it's changed dramatically. Oh, gosh. Well, in the beginning, uh, it was the improv and you came to the improv to see a comic. Didn't I, I remember... The first time I went to the improv, I was 19. I had my sister's fake ID, or my sister's ID, which was fake for me. Um, and I saw J.J. Wall. And I promise there's five people out there in the planet who know who J.J. Wall is. And none of them knew who he was when they bought a ticket to go to the improv. Um, the second time I came to the improv, I saw Pat Hazel, who is easily one of my favorites. And... Uh, but I, I didn't know who I was coming to see. I just knew I was coming to see somebody funny and laugh and have a great time. And um, then the business became about seeing big names. And then it became, uh, well, it's social media based, not radio based, not TV based. It's just constantly evolving. It's very fluid. So, but in the beginning, I missed the days when, I could book somebody that I thought was funny mm -hmm. and I was proud of how funny they were and people would buy a ticket and see it and they would laugh and go home and they would say, Oh my gosh, Robert Hawkins is hilarious. And that's for all the clubs. Yes. So we've talked about that a lot. I mean, the idea of development, it's so tough now, especially I'm sure road clubs where people just expect this is going to be someone I've seen on television. And if they don't know the name, it's going to be hard to sell a ticket. I feel like we as a company are going back to, to where we were before and we're being more proactive in developing talent. Um, that as long as we're, we're providing quality entertainment, quality food, quality service, that should be enough to keep people coming back. Absolutely. And there's so much talent now. There is so much talent. And unfortunately, you know, I, I feel like I've been booking the same people over and over again, and it's really difficult for me to find an act that I'm passionate about. Well, no, I can find tons that I'm passionate about, but that I can get the rest of the chain passionate about so that they'll take a chance on somebody that I believe in. What do you look for when you're booking? Oh, it's funny. Sure. <laughs> somebody who's, who's funny that would, you know. Um, You've seen probably thousands upon thousands of hours of stand-up. What makes you laugh? Do you still laugh? I laugh all the time. I laugh all the time. There are still comics that destroy me. I look back and go, okay, people say, well, how do, how do you become famous? There, there is no formula. I can say that, you know, 20 years ago, Patton Oswalt would make me pee my pants, but nobody knew who he was. And now he's huge. So, and then there's still people that make me pee my pants <laughs> that have been in the business for 20 years and they have no like national visibility. Alan Havy is one of the funniest people on the earth. Um, you look at Ron White, for example, we used to pay him in Coronas and call him Ronaldo Blanco. We didn't even promote him <laughs> as his real name. It was silly. And he would, he would be the guy I would call when I had a fallout in Cleveland, um, but he, his success didn't come until he was in his 40s. So you just, you just don't know. And then there's people who, you know, flash in the pan, become super successful. And you're like, well, maybe they don't have 
the full 45 minutes to back this up, but they're going to ride the wave. Mm -hmm. So it's such, it's just an interesting business. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting? Well, let's, uh, let's take the focus over here across Mm -mm. me right now. No, I want to ask Aaron something. Oh, sure. What is, tell me, do you have one specific comic that on any particular night that just destroyed you in a, in a way that you were incapacitated with laughter? Like who just gets the Aaron funny bone every time? Dana Gold. Destroys you. Dana Gold. uh, He did a set at the old Irvine Improv. He, and I was managing he broke three mic stands <laughs> in a 45 minute set. And I should have been really pissed off, but instead I was so impressed and my face hurt, you know? So I, I, there's so many of them though. I just remember that moment specifically being like, I should be so angry at him, but he is so brilliant and he was crazy. And it's almost like we were handcrafted for this business. I think, I think it's like a, a particular personality to be in this business because we've talked about this before. I would not survive in a bank and I don't think you would either. I could survive. I would be horribly unhappy, but I could make it work. And so could you, but this, this business is perfect for us. Yeah. And we've said it so many times. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. I mean, this is absolutely a lifestyle. And Rita, you live it in the club every single day. In this little, this little wonderful little house. So Rita, take, take us back. Let's go back. How long have you been with the improv? Um, it is, I'm doing math. Sorry, I had a little wine, so my, <laughs> my math isn't that good. Um, 94 I started. So 22 years. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, I'm at 22 And years. so Erin, she's in her third year. She might be still a cocktail waitress thing. What are you doing? No, years? I was managing because I remember yeah, Rita calling me in a panic. Every day. I have- <laughs> every night. My manager left and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> How do I make this work? Romanko went down again. So your first year was in Tempe? Yes. <clears throat> I started with a sketch group called Running With Scissors. So you're a performer. Yes. And I came right out of ASU. But the... But the bottom line is, so it was all boys and me and one other girl. And the whole idea was, it was Mark Anderson, who was who was owner at the Tempe Improv. He was trying to kind of uh, curate us to go on the road. And so he made us his in-house sketch group. And I don't know if I said this, um, if I've told this story before, it's kind of a quiet nightmare in my heart. But I was, you know, 100% performer. Never dreamt of being on the other side. Um, and I did probably eight months worth of shows with these guys. Right. And then I picked up serving because I was a performer and had no money. And Dan Murr, who was the managing partner at the Tempe Improv, um, I said, you know, can I serve? So I was doing that part-time. And then there was these rumblings going on that the boys had gotten an offer to go on the road. The sketch group had finally gotten the opportunity to tour, but nobody was saying anything to me. And I remember, my God, why aren't they? And they were all kind of mum about it. And literally, one day Dan came to me, came up to me and he said, they're gone. And I said, what do you mean they're gone? He said, they're, they're, they're going to the San Diego Improv. And they left you behind. And they left us behind because Mark Anderson... Um, this is just secondary, secondhand knowledge. It's so funny. You don't, you know, you love these people so much. You don't want to speak ill of them ever. But the, um, what they told me is that Mark didn't want to pay for me to live in the same quarters as the boys because he was super religious at this time. And they would have to bring me along and the other girl, they would have to buy a second. They would have to budget in, you know, a, a, an apartment for us. And the boys weren't willing to do that. So instead of coming up to me and telling me, you know, this is the situation, they just left. So abandoned. They literally left me and I was so devastated. And uh, we'll talk, you know, Dan Murr's a whole other podcast, but oh. right? <laughs> I've heard stories. But he swooped in. I was sobbing and he said, you know, I need an assistant in the office. Do you want to do that? And it was, I think, $8 an hour. Um, and, and you earned every oh penny. Oh, my God. And I was 22 and um, I had no idea what I was doing. And Aaron was literally, I didn't actually meet you physically for a few years. No, but Aaron was, was like an everyday part of my life because Dan Murr, another podcast, 
had like a multiple person, split personalities. He was the nicest man sometimes. And then other times he was nearly impossible to work for and he would just disappear. Um, and he wouldn't answer the phone and this is before cell phones and he would disappear. And I was 22, um, just starting. And then I moved on to the floor managing. And that was an interesting, um, change because, you know, I had to earn the respect of people that had been there a really long time. And I was this, you know, little young thing trying to tell people. And what sadly, to do. when you go from working as a cocktail waitress to working as a manager, as prestigious as it sounds, you are not making nearly as much money as you were on the yeah, floor. It was the worst. Took a huge pay cut to become management. And I was drowning at times. I mean, it sat for 50. Oh my gosh, Tempe's beautiful. It's still so beautiful. It just got a, a, an amazing facelift. Um, but in, back then it was just gorgeous and I loved it. But I was um, learning and failing and succeeding and failing. And I would call Aaron every day and say, Aaron, I can't get this to work. And I don't know how to pay this. And she literally was like the angel on the other side of the phone. Um, and that's why I just love her with all my heart to this day, because she really carried me through. We were. She wasn't nearly as hopeless as she is making herself out to be. But I found that Rita is very competent. Oh, for sure. Oh, thanks. And humble. <laughs> um, so then what's the path that gets you to the Hollywood improv? I had a boyfriend from New Jersey who was a real piece of shit. <laughs> I dated him for four years and he laid pipe all over Tempe. I can say this now. It's been 20 years. He laid pipe all over Tempe. So he uh, was, um, into in plumbing or just for the- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're actually really, really good friends now. And he's married and wonderful, but man, it was rough. So I went up to Dan and I said, I need, I don't want to be a boss. I had a body on me that would make people cry and I could sling drinks. So I, I left the improv temporarily. I made that really clear. I said, I want to come home, um, but I just need to go mend my heart. So another friend of mine, she dumped her boyfriend. I dumped him and we moved to Vegas and I cocktailed for a year. And then I started dating Pablo. Um, Pablo who? Pablo Francisco. Sure. Who's like my love, my family. Um, we'll talk about him another time, but. He's just, you know, we'll he'll, he'll always Pablo be the love of my life. Episode. But I started dating Pablo and I was having a great time making so much fucking money in Vegas. And then through Pablo, um, you know, he was like, do you want to come back? Like, what do you want to do? And what do you think of Hollywood? And I said, well, you know, that'd be something I'd like to look at. But there was never any management turnover over here. Who was managing when you finally came? Um, Aaron? Uh, Riza had just left. It was right after Copeland's came. Oh, Sean Brown. Sean Brown. Oh my goodness. Oh, so we had just gone through a corporate turnover here. We're a corporation from Louisiana who, you know, a lot of people talk a lot of trash about that era, but I- Sean see, Brown was a piece of shit. Oh my God. <laughs> I will Sean go Brown on record. Names. Yeah, he, let's just say that uh, that was not a good time in my life. Uh, he was not exactly the boss that, you know, he I'm not going to with- with comedians uh, to give really, them are we stage going here? time. We're going here. That, I'm not going to say who he slept with. I'm just saying uh, in order to get stage time, he would have relationships. He go. Yeah. You guys have never had a, an affair that would be better. <laughs> the booking situation for this club. I've been, uh, no, Mm-mm. I sadly, my commitment stops there. Yeah. I've just had sex with one comic. <laughs> I could stand on a mountaintop and say that that's it. That's Date, it. I dated one. Uh, and then. Who did you date here? He's Dana no, Gould. No. I did you date? <laughs> no, I did not date Dana Gould. Um, it's Scott Harriet. Oh my God, Scotty. For like 18 months. And then we broke up and then I met Carl and then that's all she it wrote. Was the bomb. I knew this was going to become a gossip fest. Um, so they, Robert said, Rita, listen, do you want to come to Hollywood? And I said, okay, but I want to go as a manager. All right. And I didn't hear from him for probably close to a year. And then he said, Rita, there's a management position opening. Put on some pantyhose. You're going to have to, because I thought, great, I'll just transfer in. I mean, I had, you know, a few years at that time of management position, of, of, 
of that experience. And Tempe at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, it was one of the biggest ones we had in our company. It was, yes, definitely the biggest club we had at that time. Totally different animal than the Melrose Improv, which I'm sure you learned when you got here. Oh, yeah, that was a total shell shock. But I thought, oh, no problem. Like, I'm part of the family and they'll just bring me in. But this corporation had come in and had ownership. So Robert told me and Aaron, too, that I had to interview. And it was really kind of confusing. I said, what the fuck are you talking? I may not get this job. And he said, put on pantyhose. Literally, he said, put like put on pantyhose, quiet your voice and interview. So I interviewed with Tony Baldino. Did you interview with Balls Depot? With Baldino, yeah. I call him Balls Depot. He doesn't listen to podcasts. (laughs) Tony is the bomb. He's like this older Italian man. And that's how I kind of bonded with him. I said, you know what? You're Italian. You know, you should be ashamed of yourself. You haven't offered me anything to eat. Are you going to share that? I think he had a sandwich or something, but I kind of disarmed him that way. And then I came here and it was complete bat shit. Like Aaron saved my life because I came here thinking, I have several years of the Tempe Improv. I know everyone. And you know no one when you come in here. It's like a sea of... You you learn real quick. Well, why don't you guys talk about that time? When you got here, what does the Hollywood Improv look like? Aaron was booking it. Oh, I was so lucky back in those days. You had Alyssa Rolls, right? She was your assistant at that time. It could have been Alyssa. I think it was, might have been Wingate. Oh, Wingate. Or, after her Wingate, it was Matt Coleman. And after Matt Coleman, it was... Was it Stu? Stu Golfman. And then after Stu Golfman... Jesse? was Jesse. Jesse Shapiro. Insider, insider. And then Eric. <laughs> and then Emily. So yeah, it's been a her lineups were. I know I've, I've because heard because I had the freedom to do it, and I'm so sad that my old computer from 2001 is nowhere to be found or 1998, 99. What was a typical lineup? Well, there were no promoter shows. A there was no promoter show, so I had the ultimate freedom. Um, so I remember looking back at them and going, "Okay, it was Daniel Tosh, Sarah Silverman, Patton Oswalt, Louis. Alan Havy." Um, yeah, I would have booked Louis C.K., but he didn't. He wasn't around very often. Whenever he was, I would put him up. Totally. Um, but they didn't. But nobody would come and see these amazing shows. Um, it was disheartening when people. Why do you think that is? Was the comedy boom is kind of coming to an end? Right. That's when the internet really started taking over. I think right air. Yeah. And the industry. That's kind of when I think the industry as a whole took a hiccup, as far as the live experience. And I feel like we needed to make changes as an organization, just from a service perspective and a menu perspective. So um, we could have done more, but the lineups were fantastic. Let me pat myself Mm -hmm. on the back. But also it was as easy as just answering the phone back then. I can't pretend like I was some mystic. They would call. I would think they were funny and I would put them up. It was was the easiest, funnest job in the world back then. That was avails, right, Air? How did we do avails then? I feel like they every call, Monday, right? They would call, and then I would go through my little Excel document and look for their name when I would hear the voicemail. And I think the hardest part was was weeding out some of the people that had been here for twenty years and trying to get new people in because right. it what really was when I got here the same lineup every single night. And what I thought was hilarious when I first started working here and booking, there were three people doing my job. And so they left and not only was I doing their job, but I was also the general manager of the club. So I was like, that's insane, (laughs) but it was, it was doable. I mean, it was long, crazy hours. Um, but it was doable. I mean, I wouldn't do it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, booking this club, especially now with the podcast studio and the lab, is is a full time job. Um, but back then, I was only responsible for the main showroom. And, and I, didn't we do? No, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like we only had an eight o'clock show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We did, only did two shows on, on Friday, Friday and Saturday. Saturday, right? So there was one oh, show wow. and, during. And the, it was, was it to go all night? Was it like an eight o'clock till no. two a.m.? No. Mm, no. Oh wow. Uh, I mean, people would keep going up, but it, it, it depended on the night. Um, what was Mo Better Monday called before Mo Better Monday when Sarah Remaker used to book it? It was. It had a different name. It was before Spike? It was before Spike. It was Spike and Herb. It was Herb. 
and Sarah Raymaker. And so when when they left, we had to rename it. And we renamed it Mo Better Monday, but God darn it, I can't remember what it was called. Mo Better's better. It's a better oh, name. Yeah. But yeah, it was, we still, that was the only promoter show we right. had. Well, um, you talk about, I mean, you just mentioned it. I mean, that, the, it's a major theme on this podcast, obviously, is saying no. But how do you go, especially at that time, and, and you, as you said, weed out people that had been performing here for, for years? It was really hard because here was this young chippy who was I, you know, um, to say, and, and I didn't ever eliminate anybody. It was, it was more, okay, you know how you used to get five sets a week? Right. You're going to get two mm-hmm. uh, so that I can give more opportunities to young, young up and coming or, or people who haven't had a chance in a while. Um, it was really difficult. It was, I, uh, I tried to be as fair and as kind as I could be and as respectful as I could be, but no matter what, feelings are going to get hurt. And I, I mean, I definitely remember unintentionally ruffling some feathers and that it never makes you feel good, no. but it but was I've, necessary um, for growth. Well, I, I sat next to you for about six months or maybe my first year booking the main room. I was working out of levity like two or three days a week, but sitting next to your office, it gave a nice little view into your world and your matter of factness. And sometimes heated conversations with people in your job is, is really She's impressive. She's a master at the way she can balance. She can tell somebody to go fuck themselves and that, and be their best friend all the same time. And they don't really realize she's telling them to go fuck herself themselves. Um, well, well it's, thanks it's, guys. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's the way that you communicate. It is an art. But it's, you're respected. But I don't think anyone truly understands. I mean, I get a little bit of it, but Melrose is such a different club than, you know, the, the, you're not dealing with agents and managers to the same degree. No. And that's, that's sort of where the, where the more contentious relationships occur. I mean, I've, I've never had, I can't remember having an, an argument with a comedian uh, that I wasn't really good friends with. Like, so, you know, that that's, my job is to negotiate the best deal I can mm-hmm. for the organization. And unfortunately, that means sometimes I have to argue with agents, but. Well, you've, you've got it down to a science and I said, this is kind of a segue, but I, you know, in the time I've spent with you, both of you, it, it's remembering this is such a family. And one of the most awesome things to hear from both of you are these stories from the last 25 years about, um, you know, it really that family aspect of helping people, whether it's comics or other people in the industry. I think a lot of people think of the improv as just, you know, this big chain and it's corporate, but forgetting that there's people behind it. It's so small. It's such a small organization. And we get this reputation for being this like Goliath when the reality is there's, you know, there's five of us and we work so hard Mm -hmm. to maintain it. And then of course we have so much great support at the, at the club level with all the different managers and um, servers and doormen and everything that makes the club work, but it's really small. And they think of us as like the McImprov and you're like, we're so not, there's just one. I answer my own phone. Yeah. Aaron literally books 30 clubs. Right. Couple a, cruise ships. Couple cruise ships. <laughs> what for comics listening? Um, Cause you know, I, people kind of have an, a sense of how to get into the improv or maybe they don't, but um, how does a comic even get into uh, on the the club level of doing other clubs that are not Hollywood. Oh, that's so get hard. famous. It sadly, um, you there has to be uh, an element of exposure, um, you know, that I can at least prove potential that they might sell tickets. Um, but like I said, we're looking at developing more talent, so quality and uh, sanity are going to be more important elements. Um, but I think you can't be a comic in this day and age without taking some responsibility for your own marketing, you know, on the social media side or even grassroots street teams, whatever you have to be responsible for promoting yourselves. Um, but yeah, just be funny and keep working on your craft. It's an amazing talent. 
I just, I feel like recently, especially in the past few years, there's been a much stronger dialogue between, um, I've always felt very welcome to, you know, throw some names Aaron's way. I just feel like there's more communication now, um, because we are growing and I feel like we're working on that actively saying, who are you having an, you know, who's, who do you guys see? Um, who should we start investing in? And I really like that word. Um, we've talked about it. You know, we've had other, you know, managers in place, um, you know, director of operations. And um, I think now though, everyone that's at the helm really understands this business. And so they're seeing that comics are a long-term investment. We've been talking about that for a long time. Even when I would just sit next to my, my, my GM as an assistant in the GM meetings. And I would say, guys, they're long-term investments. You know, we got to start looking at our features and those are our strong headliners of tomorrow. And that old team, I never really felt like understood what I was trying to say, but now I feel like everybody's moving in the same direction and knowing that we have to invest and keep everything fresh and give everybody, you know, more opportunities. Why do you think that's changed? Like, Really, in the last, I mean, in my five years, it's it's been a roller coaster ride. But it does feel like the the company is kind of on on setting sail on a, a new horizon, and there's some really great things happening. Well, you have to grow, and that means that we have to also expand the talent pool, and we have to look for alternative programming that isn't just directly stand up, doing some of the uh, the game grump stuff and the YouTube stuff and the binary stuff on on nights we wouldn't normally be open. That is a place for us to make a little bit of money so that we can take the pressure off of ourselves and take more chances mm -hmm. with stand-up comics that aren't necessarily famous, but are really, really funny and, um, and give out a lot more comps and expose yourself to new audience members. And, and, you know, if I went to go see a Dan Cummins show and I didn't know who Dan Cummins was, I promise I would go back to the improv because it was so funny. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people like that out there that you just, you want to mm -hmm. throw your arms around and give them a, you know, every club in the country and keep them working constantly, but it's also a business. So. And a lot of people don't understand that. And, you know, I fought that for a while, you know, like, you know, certain shows and there's certain comics and certain, you know, that, you know, we all have our own taste people that we like, but I've opened up considerably in the last year or two to, you know, like you said, uh, a random YouTube show that isn't, you know, my cup of tea. It does. If it sells out three shows, it gives me, we've talked about that. that and I've freedom. said it gives us the freedom, right? To, to just, fail elsewhere, to try new things. Right. And, um, well, and you go, it's, it's totally subjective. What I love, you know, not everybody loves but I can see something that I don't love, but I can appreciate it and say, okay, there's definitely an audience for this. I mean, I like my proudest moment ever was when my mom called me one day and was like, do you know who Kevin Meany is? And I was like, Oh, my mom knows who Kevin Meany is because that isn't somebody that I would think my 72 year old mom would be in tune with. So it, you never know. And it's just got to keep an open mind. So, what is, you know, your top two or three stories? Epic. My, well, I don't, epic is a very big word. I can say one of my favorite nights that I ever had was at the old Irvine Improv when it was across from UCI and Louie Anderson was the headliner and I was working and the phone rang at like three o'clock in the afternoon and it was Robin Williams and he was at Disneyland with his family and he wanted to know if, if I minded if he came and did some time on the show and uh, you know, I was, God, I think I must've been 26, maybe 27 and, and super polite and so blown away that I was talking to Robin Williams on the phone. I said, you know what, do you mind if I just call Louie Anderson really quick and make sure he doesn't have a problem with it? <laughs> Cause I was, I, and he was like, absolutely. Louie and I are friends. I don't think it'll be a problem. I said, I just, you know, protocol. And he was like, absolutely. He gave me his number. Um, I called Louie. Louie was like, of course. And so then I called him back and I said, you know, we would love to have you. And um, he came to the late show and Louie did his time and the crowd was already losing their minds and giving like a standing O. And then Louie says, hey, thank you guys so much for coming. Um, 
I'm I'm hoping that you guys will humor me here for a minute. I have a a, a friend who likes to do stand up, <laughs> and I'm gonna invite him up on stage. And I hope that you guys can can be as warm and welcoming to him as you were to me, ladies and gentlemen, Robin Williams. And it's silent. And then you start seeing people turning around in their seats to see Robin walking to the stage. And as they see and recognize him, the roar in the room. I still get chills when I I'm think getting about chills it. right now. Totally. Um, but the the roar that came up in that room. And I mean, obviously, Robin Williams was amazing. And it was but just the crowd reaction, the total thrill that they didn't know this. They already had the greatest night of their life. And now it just got better. Mm-hmm. So it, that's something in in the improvs and or any comedy club and in, in the stand-up realm, the element of anything can happen at any time. And, and it can only happen in that moment is really special. And so that's, that's one of my favorite moments. Absolutely. My favorite experience at, at the club is when that Louis or Chris Rock or um, Sarah, whoever it is, but that, that groundswell. And it, it is, it's, it goes from the wave from the back as people start seeing this person, like, are they serious? Oh my God, it's serious. This person, this luminary is in front of me right now. And that the beauty of this place is that happens, you know, sometimes two or three times a week. I get completely high off of it. I feel high when stuff like that happens. When you work so hard and it is, it is a tough and sometimes miserable job, but then moments like that happen and it makes you fall in love with the industry all over again. Like I can get yelled at and screamed at by agents and managers all day. And then I can go to the Irvine Improv and listen to Craig Robinson sing about, you know, take your panties off and see the crowd lose their minds and just be reminded why I do what I do. Yeah. What about you, Rita? Oh, I've got a lot, but I think more, most recently, I think just because of the transition of the club and how many changes have happened, I've been finding it's not going to be an exciting story, but I've just been feeling really um, at peace when I see, like, when you guys told me the other night when Dana Carvey played here, and Dana was one of the first headliners I dealt with as a young manager, you know, being left alone in the club. Um, and Dana was there, and he was such a gentleman and so sweet. And just to have this full circle of him being here. And when you said, I think Nikki was here, Nick Swartzen and Spade, you know. Oh, uh, in this room that night. Right? It was Spade, and John Lovitz, Apatow. Apatow. Uh, moments like that of just knowing not just what's happening on stage. Cause you know, that's, you know, clearly the magic, but something different recently for me has been just knowing that they're relaxing here and they're hanging out and feeling at home again. I think after this huge three year turnaround of the kitchens up here and we have a food truck outside and I could say, you know, we, um, tater tots all Sunday night and we don't have a green room and now we have this green room and all of that now I just feel is all making sense. So, but Todd glass, the mm-hmm. story that's coming to my mind right now. I can't, I was like, there's so many Todd stories. It's, I laugh like it's part of my being. And when I, when somebody hits me in that right spot, I'm incapacitated. Like I, I cannot function <laughs> and it doesn't happen all the time. I laugh all the time, all day. I love watching the shows. My favorite thing when I get to actually sit and I don't get to do it very often where I get to sit and enjoy somebody from, you know, beginning to end of their set. I was watching Todd Glass. We were at the Irvine Improv and Pablo was headlining and Todd came down and did a guest set and so you know how he is how he like and i was just listening to the podcast with you so i think that's why he's on my mind but you know he's like really stomps around and he's just in his conviction and i don't know where it came from but i was sitting in the back watching and he said yeah you know this whole what comes around goes around thing what goes around comes around bullshit karma and I'm not doing it justice, guys, by the way, but he goes, sometimes I just walk up and down the street with a two by four, bash somebody in the back of the head and go, Jesus, what did you do to deserve that? <laughs> right. And he's got that Fred Flintstone head. And you guys like the doorstep had to carry me outside. I was it hit me in this spot. I laughed for four hours. And when I mean that, I'm not exaggerating. I could not contain myself. I was crying. And then I would I would compose myself and then I would just think about his face and the way he just said this joke and I completely would crumble 
rode all the way back to Redondo Beach with Pablo in the car, bawling my eyes out laughing. We went to CVS to go doing two o'clock in the morning shopping, which is what you do with Pablo Francisco. Of course. And I collapsed in the middle of CVS in the middle of the hot, like you guys, this is hours later. And Pablo like looked around the corner because I was dying on the floor. He said, still doing still, you're still laughing. So it's moments like that where you just hit me in this spot and it's super unexpected. And I don't know what the formula is, but Todd goddamn has it with me. So that's just one moment, one night where I was like, I am so lucky I found this job and these people and um, I love my life here. No, I think um, we all pinch ourselves. And I mean, this it's, it literally is insanity. And I want to have both of you back on. Are you feeling a little bit better about being in front of a microphone, Aaron? <laughs> You're amazing. Uh, yes. Because I don't, I think we're just scratching the surface as far as stories and lore and what you guys have seen and your amazing personalities. And, you know, I've talked about it to no end already in the first seven or eight episodes, but this club um, is what it is now because um, of the 25 and 22 years you guys have been here. And with Rita... You know, having a GM that she's knows, not just the GM; she is the heartbeat. Yes, of this club that that lives this job, that loves comedy, that understands it, oh, yeah. and seeing you toe the line and having to run the place and make financial decisions. But I think that's what's been missing for a long time: is someone that's running the place and that we can work hand in hand. And and how Aaron is literally the best boss in the world ever. I yeah. think <laughs> I I talk to you once every three months. Well, that's a testament to what an excellent job you're doing. Because if you were fucking up, you would talk to me a lot. That's true. I call you when an agent yelled at, has yelled at me. And, but isn't um, she the most comforting person on the planet? Like yes. The world could be falling around in pieces around me. And I call Aaron and everything is okay. You just got this way. And I love you so much. I love you too. Aww. I think it's something to do with uh, as well is I think that Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Robert and Dan, I think that they're really... Um, celebrating how fucking crazy we are here and they're letting us run free. Really. They're just kind of, I remember one time Dan says, all right, what do you need? What do you need me to do? And I said, I need you to go like this. I covered my eyes. I go, la, 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 la. I said, I need you to cover your ears. And just let us run. And that's really what you guys are doing. And guess what? If you weren't doing a good job doing what you were doing, they wouldn't be allowing that to happen. So it, it, Backing off was the best thing they could do for this club. So you guys are doing a great job. Well, that was sound like fun. a big old love fest. But like you said, Jamie, <laughs> I think we just scratched the surface with Erin. Like she has hours of shit. Oh, you both do. Um, so I guess for, for, for this episode, if you can guys could just each of you give one last piece of advice to the comedians. There's a lot of comedians that listen to this. Um, as far as career wise steps that you would, uh, encourage them to take or tact or things you've learned in all your years? Oh gosh. There's so so many. Well, for me, it's so hard. I feel like comics don't want advice on how to write a joke from me because that's not what I do. Um, I guess my, my advice is before you submit a link or (laughs) it's not tapes anymore, but you know, Mm -hmm. before you submit a link, um, to be watched, to make sure that you are a hundred percent confident on that link, because if you send it to me and it's not ready, you're going to, it, it'll take you easily another six months for me to watch you again. So be really convinced before you submit. What would be an example of a, a link that someone submit that just was clearly not ready? Like, Oh, no. oh gosh. Opening up with a fart joke. I don't know. <laughs> if it's a funny fart joke, I'm easy. Um, I think ultimately Matt, Mike Carano and I need to, to, I don't know where all these tapes are. We wanted to do like a best of the worst of submissions <laughs> because it was like some of the stuff we got was standing in front of your fireplace, holding a hairbrush. Right. You know, but um, bump, and you're going, wow, okay, and but but guess what? If you were doing that and you were being funny, like that would I would be okay with that. Um, but if if you're doing that and it's but the hairbrush fireplace so thing funny. doesn't usually work out. It would if you have excellent jokes. Do you want the fire behind you to be not lit. roaring? <laughs> not lit. Okay. Not lit. Cool. That's, that's a good. That's tip. a hazard. <laughs> that is a hazard. Oh, I'm crying. That's hilarious. 
And what about you, Rita? I mean, oh my gosh, there's so many tidbits. Um, what's coming to mind right now? What about you, as far as um, be nice to the staff? What? Oh, telling me? No, to be no, nice no. To the I staff? mean, no. Oh, comics. I thought she was telling me to be. No, nice. I think it's one thing for comics is is you never know. Right. The same way that you and I and and the servers from from an MC to an open micer to a headliner, you treat everybody with respect because you never know um, that that as a comic going into an improv or any club, you should treat all of the staff with respect. Um, a lot of times, you know, if, if, if I have a week to give somebody and it's, and the price point is X and there's 10 people at that, that price point that are, are equally funny. I'm going to choose the one that's the nicest. Right. Yeah. Because every time. Yeah. So I just be nice to the staff. Sorry. And, be nice to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody has their own opinions, but I think a lot of times what young comics don't understand, because if you, if you look at the really successful comics, when they come here, they recognize it as a place that's homey and a place that they're seeing old friends and new friends, making new friends, but they also treat it like it's a business. And I think young comics, for instance, I hear young comics downstairs openly talking shit about other comics. Um, not, And I'm not saying that you can't have opinions about other people because we're all human. But you do that when you're in your living room smoking pot with two of your best bros. You don't do it in a place that's within earshot. I cannot tell you how many hundreds of times I want to. I hear people and I say, probably not a good idea. Not because of politics or anything, but like Aaron said. You just don't know that maybe the guy that can't quite deliver the joke on stage doesn't have the same presence as you do, but maybe he's going to be a fucking showrunner someday. He may be the the biggest showrunner or um, writer and you have to be kind to each other. So when you're going to talk shit, because it's going to happen, I think that's (laughs) going to be human nature in any business. But remember when you're in a forum like this, just keep it neutral and be pleasant to everybody. And please... If I'm limping to my car after 12 hours uh, in Fred Siegel's, please don't follow me out to my car. That's a at 11:30 at night and tell me jokes <laughs> while I'm sitting in my car with one foot in and the engine running and I'm trying to pull out. <laughs> I love you. I love great jokes. I'll love great jokes for the rest of my life. But can you not follow me out to the car at night? Yeah, don't follow people. I think that's a general good life advice tip. <laughs> But there, no, you'd hit that like when I have my backpack on and I'm walking out and I've been here since noon and it's 1 a.m. Pick your spot, please. I want to go home and sleep. Happens every night. Um, Well, here's my little closing. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Work on your craft endlessly. Be a professional, be undeniable and be cool as fuck always. Thank you for being here. I promise we're doing it again soon and you have no choice in the matter. So much fun. Thanks, James. Bye, guys. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com and at jamieflam on Twitter. A very special thanks to the Sideshow Network, the Hollywood Improv, Andrew Stevens, Sean Merrick, Roddy Swearingen, and producer Buddy Peace for the awesome music at the top and end of this episode. And be sure to check out hollywood.improv.com for updates on great new shows coming up in the main room and the lab.